First Thessalonians chapter five is where we are today. We're talking about the subject of gratitude or gratefulness. And turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. Our scripture reading today will be verses 11 through 18. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning in verse, sorry, 14, not 11. Here's God's word, First Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And here is the main part of this text that we're gonna examine. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's word. Would you say thanks be to God? I think it was sixth grade when I learned the concept of muscle memory. It's the idea that if you do certain motions enough, that it begins to train your mind. Doesn't mean that there's a brain in your muscle, but it, it trains your mind to fire muscles in a particular order so that it becomes almost instinctive in terms of the repetitive pattern. So sixth grade, I learned about the, uh, the mechanics of how to correctly shoot the basketball. And essentially what I learned is, put on a little clinic here for you, all right, so improve some of your game, all right? So here goes. So you wanna line up, get your knees bent, Elbow needs to be in, lined up with the knee, hand back, fingertips up on that ball, and then you release. Fire from your leg first, elbow goes up, and then you dunk it, or you kind of dip your hand in the bucket, as one brother said, like you put your hand in mom's cookie jar. That's what he told me afterwards. So, so, you, so this is the motion, and the coaches in sixth grade at Camels of Valley Community College basketball camp said, if you begin to do this motion over and over and over, after a while, it would just become instinctive. You wouldn't even have to think about it. It's just, just what you do every single time. Elbow in, hand back, dip it in. And so they suggested that don't just do this when you're playing basketball. Like, do this when you're not playing basketball. Like, when you go to the lunch line. Like, like walk around, do this. And so it's hilarious. A bunch of sixth grade boys going through lunch, they're grabbing hamburgers, doing this, like, all the time. And the fact of the matter is, is he was right. Like, that motion, for me, is now just instinctive. I probably made that motion probably 100,000 times in my lifetime. In fact, sometimes when I raise my hand in worship, I just can't help myself. I just kind of dunk it, you know? Like, <laughs> love Jesus, two, you know? Or three, you know, kind of a thing. Just kind of instinctive. Some of you know that the problem with your golf game is that you've got bad muscle memory. You just don't have the swing pattern right. So this muscle memory thing is an interesting concept. It just essentially means you do it enough that it becomes a habit, instinctive, maybe even natural. I wanna to suggest to you that what's true in basketball as it relates to muscle memory could also be true as it relates to your soul when it comes to the issue of gratitude. The fact of the matter is, is that some of us have developed really bad habits. Feet hit the ground after waking up and you're like, oh, this day's awful. You've become a habitual complainer. You think about a Christmas that's coming up, and rather than thinking about all of the things you should be thankful for, you're focused on the one or two people who just drive you crazy. Instead of thinking about the things that you should be thankful for if you're a parent with your kids, you just think of all the things that you're not happy about. And what can happen is you develop these habits, sort of a spiritual muscle memory, that your first step is one of complaining. Your first action 
first attitude becomes one of ingratitude. And what we're trying to do in this series called Grateful is to figure out how can we develop not just habits of gratefulness, but how can we have a mind and a heart that understands what God has done for us, understands the priority of thanksgiving so that gratitude can actually, becomes, can actually become a new way of thinking, even a new way of living. This is our third week in probing this important topic. First week, we looked at the idea of it being a goal, gratefulness as being a goal, and I tried to help you see how connected gratitude is to your view of God. We, we take a thing and we say thanks to God about that thing. We, we see it as a means or as a platform to connect the thing to the one who has given it. So I encourage you to write down five things in the morning, five things at night, kind of a gratitude challenge, and here's a couple images of uh, things that people said thanks for from, look at the one in the middle there, a heart beating, lungs, a warm house, car started, clear dental checkup, that's always gonna be thankful for, right? And a loving and caring wife, or actually crossed out, caring, no, re, re, okay, put it there, caring wife, good, caring and loving wife. And so the, 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 the point is just to be thinking about all of the grace that we've received and to be the kind of people that when we see grace, we say thanks. Last week, Nate helped you from Psalm 103 to understand stimulants for praising God or things that should motivate us in praising God for who he is. The more we understand about him, the more gratitude should flow from our lives. And this week, the singular word title, so goal two weeks ago, God last week, this week is the word giving. And I wanna help you see that being grateful is designed to be an all-encompassing mindset or an all-encompassing habit for the follower of Jesus. I'm gonna to suggest to you that a grateful perspective is supposed to be instinctive for people who understand God's grace. Gratitude should be a bit like muscle memory. It should be something that we practice intentionally. And in our text today, we see this little phrase, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So two weeks ago I said, when you see grace, say thanks. I wanna add one word to that equation. When you see grace, give thanks always. Always. In this text, Paul says that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. So I wanna unpack that this morning. We're gonna first look at what that means, secondly, what it looks like in other contexts within the Bible, and then third, how exactly do we do it? So first, what does it mean when Paul says give thanks in all circumstances? Well, you need to know that 1 Thessalonians 5 is part of Paul's instructions to a church regarding how they are to live in the last days. He intends to give them hope as they live in the gap between Jesus' departure and when he will return. That's how he defines the last days. And he wants them to know, how do you live in the midst of a pressure-filled experience? What do you do when it feels like the press of culture or difficulties or pain begins to invade your life? Well, look at verse 11. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So the idea is that there needs to be this sort of activist perspective, encouraging one another, and that there's particular characteristics or behaviors that should mark this community. 
In other words, this is the way that believers are to live when things are challenging. So in verses 12 through 13, all the way down to verse 16, he gives them a number of instructions. And then we get to the one regarding gratitude. Let me just highlight these. Verses 12 to 13, he says, we ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's speaking here about pastors and elders. There's something about the hard press of difficulties that sometimes makes people not want to hear things anymore. They're like, it's so hard, I don't want to be instructed. Like, just stop telling me to be godly and righteous. Like, this is too hard. And Paul says, don't go there. He says, esteem them, verse 13, very highly in love because of their work. And then notice what he says, be at peace among yourselves. So, I mean, church is church, and there's people in there like you and me that just can get kind of snarky and wicked. And Paul says, with the press of everything that's going on, be at peace with each other as much as you can. Have a spirit of reconciliation. And then he lists a number of particular instructions. Let me just highlight them and explain them really quickly. Verse 14, he says, admonish the idol. Apparently there were some people who, because they thought Jesus was returning quickly, that they were like checking out, taking a life of leisure. They were becoming lazy. He says, admonish them. Verse 14 also says, encourage the faint-hearted. There were others who were facing persecution and they experienced discouragement. They had tender hearts and they needed to be reminded about the truth that was undergirding their lives. So that it's crazy. Church is filled with people sometimes who are lazy and those who are discouraged. And Paul says, look, you got to know how to help both of these kinds of people. He also says help the weak in verse 14. This refers to believers who are new in the faith and likely were stuck in the past. Like in Romans 14 and 15, these were people who had a tendency to kind of go back to their old legalistic ways. And sometimes this happens when pressure comes. Folks are like, hey, I need security. I need to know like, what I'm supposed to do, and I need to know what I'm not supposed to do. And so they kind of revert back to their old legalistic ways. And Paul says, help the weak. And then verse 14, classic pastoral admonition, be patient with them all. He regularly encourages pastors and leaders to exercise patience with every kind of person, with all of our weaknesses. Verse 15, he tells them to repay no one evil for evil. So while they're facing opposition and difficulty, they were not to take revenge, and they were to keep doing good both to one another and to those outside the church. Verse 16, we're getting closer to our main thought. He says, rejoice always. This church was supposed to be marked by an unusual God-centered joyfulness, and this rejoicing was supposed to characterize them in every season, even the hard ones. doesn't mean they're always happy, but it means that there's a joyfulness in the Lord based upon what they knew to be true about God's grace. Verse 16 says they are to pray without ceasing. So this prayer posture was just supposed to be the way that they lived. And then we come to the command that is the base basis for our sermon today where Paul connects all of these things to the will of God and he says that they are to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What does this mean? The word thanks, same word we saw in week one, it's the word eucharisto in the original language. In the middle of that word is the word Charis, eucharisto, which is the word for grace, and you is the word for good. 
So Eucharisto is saying about grace that it's good. So you receive grace and you say, that's good. It's, it's what you to train your kids to do when they get a, a, a gift or a meal that's set in front of them. They receive something that's good that they don't deserve and they're to say thanks. So Eucharisto is to receive and then say thanks. It's to pronounce good grace over what's been given. So in this context, you need to know something important about the structure of the language. When he says, give thanks in all circumstances, it's a present active imperative. And what does that mean? It means two things. Number one, it means that it's a command. So Paul isn't saying, this is the way that some Christians should live, or this is a better way for Christians to live. He's saying, in effect, this is how all Christians are to live. It's a command. In other words, it's right, and let me press it even further, it's even moral to say thanks based upon what his God has given. So two weeks ago we saw in Romans chapter one that a lack of gratitude is the product of idolatry. A lack of thankfulness and gratefulness simply means that you either think so much about yourself that you think you deserve the gifts, or you end up taking the gifts and worshiping them and not making the connection between the gift and the giver. So it's a command. We need to see what we have been given and to pronounce over that, this is a good thing from you. So it's a command. The second thing, present active imperative means that it's a lifestyle. When Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, it means that he wants the church, he wants us, to see life through a lens that links God's grace back to his overarching plan for our lives he wants us to link God's grace to his sovereignty. That's why gra gratefulness is so incredibly important. It's why Paul would say that we're to practice it in all circumstances. Because it isn't just that we're to be grateful for the good things. You certainly should be thankful for those things. But the real test comes when you are thankful for the things that don't seem very good. So just a quick little self-test. Do you struggle more with gratefulness when things are going well, or do you struggle with gratefulness when things are not going well? Some of us who struggle with gratefulness when like, all kinds of things have been provided and you just forget that without God's help, this wouldn't have happened. Some of you are coming to the end of the year, maybe your business is killing it, maybe you hit all your sales goals and you're gonna get a bonus at the end of the year. Brother, sister, when that check comes, you ought to look at that and go, man, praise God, he helped me, as opposed to, boom, killed it. Nailed my goals, worked hard, worked harder than anybody else. Be careful. Got an academic award this year at school, or maybe saw some success, be careful. It's the absence of thought that this is from God that the seeds of idolatry begin to sprout. On the other side, there's a lot of us who struggle with gratefulness, not when it's good, but when it's hard. We have difficulties that come, things that are challenging, and we have a hard time being thankful for them because it's so painful. Do you have difficulties in your life that you have a hard time saying, God, I, I thank you even in this, that you're in control? Even though you don't see how it all connects, can you, can you live under the banner of, God, I know you got this, so I'm gonna trust you? I'm gonna say thanks even though I even wonder why. So what Paul is trying to do here is to help us to see that this thanksgiving mindset is supposed to be a pervasive concept in the life 
of the believer. In fact, when I'm thankful, when you're thankful, we're saying something really important, something deeply theological, something really informed by what we believe regarding who God is and regarding who I am. That's why in the Bible, offering God's thanks was really important, even commanded. You know, in the Old Testament, there were seasons when Israel brought thank offerings. God designed the Old Testament worship practice to involve the regular offering of thanks to him. For instance, Psalm 107 says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So think of this. People are bringing sacrifices to God. In fact, God commands that they bring sacrifices to him. But what you need to know is that God isn't commanding gratitude as if he's somehow in need of praise or flattery. God isn't up in heaven feeling all insecure, like, I wonder what these people think of me. They haven't said thanks in a long time. God isn't like your insecure aunt who wonders if you really like the gift, right? He's not like that. He's not an insecure junior high or worried what everybody thinks of him. And he's also not some kind of crazy despot that requires people to sing him praises in order to sort of feed some sort of ego. God isn't like that at all. Why then does he command thanksgiving be offered to him? Here's why. Because the thanksgiving isn't for his needs. It's for his people's needs. We, human beings, need the regular rhythm of rehearsing what God has done for us. We need the regular rhythm of gratitude because we tend to think we can either make it on our own, we did it on our own, or we disconnect the gift from the giver. We need regular rhythms of gratitude to remind us who we are and who God is. That's why God instituted the regular gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day. You've done something awesome coming today. The book of Hebrews says that we shouldn't neglect assembling together, especially as the end, draw ne end draws near. Why? Because when we sing, when we take the Lord's Supper, even in some traditions it's called the Eucharist, we are regularly reminded of the things for which we ought to be thankful. And that weekly discipline, that weekly habit, that muscle memory of the regular gathering, the hearing, the singing, the fellowshipping together, it is that moment where we see God's grace on display. When I read the Bible and you say, thanks be to God, it's a reminder, yeah, thank God for the Bible. When we gather together and we sing together, it's a reminder of what we really believe. When you leave the service, you ought not to ask yourself, what did I get out of the service today? You ought to ask yourself, where did I receive God's grace today? You see, developing th that habit of gratitude personally and corporately is really important. But you know there's a really interesting and concerning trend nationally. And that is that people used to associate where they went to church based upon coming to church at least twice a month. So they would say, I go to that church because they were there twice a month. When I was growing up, it was probably closer to three times a month. But today, do you know that people associate where they go to church now, based upon one Sunday a month's attendance. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming, but what I am telling you, in the suburbs of Indianapolis, 
with all sorts of things that we can do on the Lord's Day, there's a growing trend to think that I really don't need to be around God's people on a regular basis, and I'm just here to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need the regular gathering of God's people to reorient your mind and heart toward God's grace. If you're a parent of teenagers, this is really, really important because more and more parents are deciding their children, allowing their children to decide what they do in terms of engaging in God's church based upon the attitude of whether or not their children like what they're experiencing. That's crazy. I don't let my kids decide that on a whole host of things. I certainly wouldn't let them decide that regarding the assembly of God's people because there are things that children experience, especially teenagers, who need to experience that on their own, if you don't lean in, they're not going to lean towards that. See, gratitude tends to leak. Our elevation of the gift over the giver has always historically happened And we need regular reminders and constant rhythms that reinforce gratitude. Otherwise, here's what will happen. You just go throughout the course of your life, you will eventually begin to wonder, how come other people have more than you do? You start to have a heart that's filled with ingratitude for what God has provided. You begin to have a covetous heart. You look at the world negatively. Your sin issues will seem far less than everyone else's. You need a regular gathering together to hear God's word, to be reminded, okay, yeah, this is who I am. This is who God is. I got a lot of things to work on in my own soul, and that brings joy as you reconnect your heart to what and who God is in the context of your life. You move away from the assembly of God's people for a number of months, friend. I promise you, your soul is going to decline very quickly. God didn't design spiritual growth to be something you do on your own. He designed for it to be something that we do together as we rehearse why we should be thankful. So that's what it means. Now what does it look like? Let me give you some thoughts as we look at some other texts regarding what gratitude actually looks like. Now all of this has its roots in the gospel. This is where all gratitude begins. So if you're not yet a Christian, you need to understand that in order to really embrace a heart of gratitude and gratefulness, you have to get to this foundational concept, which is that Jesus came, he rescued sinners, of which we're big ones, and God forgave us of our sins, we've put our faith and confidence in him, so that when God looks at us, we should be condemned and instead we're declared righteous. The Bible tells us that instead of God giving us what we deserved in our sinfulness, he's counted us righteous in Christ, tells us that we have been forgiven when we didn't deserve it and that our only hope is to be in the person and work of Jesus. So therefore, the one group of people in the world who ought to be grateful are Christians because they know the ground of all gratefulness. Now what do we find in the Bible regarding this subject? Three things. Number one, gratefulness communicates, God, you're the giver. We we talked about this in week one, but at a very basic level, the habit of gratitude connects with what we have received from the one who gave it. Let me me show this to you in a couple texts. Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and 17. I want to show you how gratitude is just all over in the New Testament. Here's what Paul said in Colossians three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together, notice, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father, to God the Father, through him. So what happens is that gratitude anchors our lives, and it anchors the gifts that we have received to the sovereignty of God. It means that everything we have, everything we are, everything we ever hope to be is all conditioned on who God is and what he has done for us. And that's why Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So number one, gratitude says, God, you're the giver. Number two, it says you're in control. So the true test of gratitude is not merely when things have been going well. The test of gratitude is really when you receive what is hard, something that doesn't seem very good. That's when gratitude and for that matter, even what you believe is really tested. So how does thankfulness connect to that? Well, look at Philippians 4 and verse 6. Paul says this, Do not be anxious about, everything, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the fact that he says do not be anxious must mean that they're dealing with hardship, with difficulty. When he says don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, the idea is that I need to pray about what's bothering me. So don't be anxious, but pray. Don't worry. Supplicate God. Talk to him. Ask him. But Paul also says we're to do that with thanksgiving. Why add that? Because Paul has this idea that while we're praying to God about the challenges of life and while we're appealing to him to help us, we're also adding thankfulness to everything that we're saying. We're saying, God, this is hard, but I can trust you. God, this is difficult, but I'm going to give thanks in all of these circumstances. God, I don't know what to do, but I'm thankful that you know what you're doing. See what Paul says here is we're adding thankfulness and gratitude to the hard times. Does God have you in a hard place today? Some struggles, some challenges? Brother, sister, as you talk to God, and maybe even as you lament, you pour out your complaint to God, let that hardship or that complaint be matched with your commitment to do two things at the same time. God, this is hard, but I can trust you. This is difficult, but you're in control. Or as you've heard me say before, this is hard, but God, I'm believing this is not bad. Third, gratitude also involves saying to God, you've provided. This connects gratitude to obedience. This was a new thought for me and was really helpful. Gratitude needs to be expressed in light of what God has provided. In other words, God has established the boundaries of life. And we're to be thankful for what God has provided and to realize going outside of God's provision is the essence of what sin is. To be tempted is to take what God has provided and then say, well, maybe I want to go outside the margins just a little bit. And I want you to see how connected gratitude and thanksgiving is to morality. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be, what's the next word? Thanksgiving. What in the world? Thanksgiving? It, Paul is saying that Thanksgiving is the antidote for crude talking, foolish talking, and filthy talking. He's saying don't talk like this. Instead, 
Talk, use your words in order to offer thanks to God. Don't be crude or crass or filthy or dirty. What's more, earlier in that verse, he said, but sexual immorality and all impurity or, in cov- or covetousness, what's covetousness? Covetousness is just desiring what you haven't been given. And as it relates to sexual ethics, covetousness is a big deal because immorality is essentially desiring what you've not been given, going outside of the boundaries of what God has provided. Another text, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say here? He says, look, don't self-medicate by the use of alcohol. Don't use it to somehow drown your sorrows and and become drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Look at life through the lens that God has provided. Use the Spirit in order to fill your heart. Don't use wine to do that. And he says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. There are some folks, if you're honest, that part of the reason why you feel so sad is you just think about sad things all the time. You just look around and you're like, broken, messed up, doesn't like me, don't like them, um, not gonna get a gift, my kids never call. I mean, you know what I mean? You just find this, this, this mindset where you're just like rehearsing all of the wrong things. And then pretty soon, pretty soon you get this, this heart condition, it's just kind of set that way. You get in your car and you're like, it's gonna be a hard drive to work today. Or you got up this morning at church, you're like probably gonna sing some songs I don't know and not gonna like the sermon and probably run into that dude that I just can't stand. And you just have this, this, this thing, your kids text you and like, what do they want now? I mean, it's just how you think. And the problem is you think like that because that's all you think about. You don't rehearse the fact, I got kids. <laughs> all right. I got a car. Woo! I got pavement. I got first world problems. Going to take my car out of its own little house called the garage. <laughs> and I got a couple of them. What in the world? Right? You come to church and you're like, man, I wonder how long this is going to go. And you're sitting in cushy seats. Right? The fact of the matter is, we have a lot to be thankful for. And friends, if we don't rehearse what we have, it's easy to begin to have wandering hearts over things that we don't have. I read this and I thought of Proverbs 5. It's the same argument Solomon makes regarding sexual temptation. I mean, you read it. He says, be intoxicated with your wife's love. Delight in her. You see, one of the strategies in fighting against sexual temptation is not to be so focused on what you don't have and rather to rejoice in what you have. Husband and wife, can I just remind you, you need, you need to be thankful for your spouse. Like they know you and they still love you. And that's a lot of work, right? <laughs> well, let me get a little sp- more specific. They, they still love you and they know you and after all these years, they know all this about you, and they still want to snuggle with you. I'm using language because we've got kids in the room, you know what I'm saying. So, all right. <laughs> and what, what happens when someone blows it morally? You know what happens? They start to feel ungrateful for their spouse. They have this relationship at work or online. You get all these ideas of, man, this would be amazing, amazing. And you know what happens oftentimes? They run there, and that turns into a disaster related to home. 
And then that relationship, they just show up to that relationship and they realize, oh man, once this person knows me, the same thing happened in this relationship that happened in my first relationship, and then that relationship dissolves because they go to another relationship. And they just don't understand that to constantly be chasing delights outside of the boundaries of what God has provisioned, has provided, never works. So what's the solution? The solution is to be thankful for what God has provided. Whether it's a person, whether it's pornography, pornography is killing people's minds, both men and women, and the essence, the lure of the temptation is come see something you don't have. Well, the Bible would say, how about you rejoice in what you got and realize that this spouse loves you even though they know you. If you're single, you rejoice in God's vision for marriage and say, yeah, I could go there outside of God's boundary. The fact of the matter is, my treasure is Christ, and I love the picture of purity in marriage more than what I feel like I don't have. You see, a lack of gratitude for what you've been given can easily lead to other sin issues. Gratefulness, therefore, is not just the right thing to do. Gratefulness actually serves as a protective agent over your heart and even, yes, your morality. Finally, how to do it. Number one, celebrate. In order to have a heart of gratitude, I want to encourage you, when you see grace, say grace. Find things to rejoice over, and maybe some of you need to continue to take the sticky note challenge. This is a good habit for you, and to develop sort of the, the muscle memory of gratitude, or to increase the amount of time you spend just in thanking God for what he's done for you in your prayer time. Secondly, learn how to lament. If you're in a hard place, understand that a third of the Bible has this lament language which is designed for you to keep talking when you're in pain, tell God your sorrows, don't let your pain become a cul-de-sac, but instead use it as a conduit to lead you to reaffirm your trust in God. To say, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? Psalm 13, but that ends in, but I have trusted in your unfailing love. My heart will sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13, six verses. He goes from, where are you, to, I can trust you. And some of you, you need to practice lament to move your heart to that direction. Third, give. Look, this isn't a message on generosity, like financial generosity, but I'm just telling you that a regular discipline of joyful generosity is part of the habit of thankfulness. Grateful people love to give. And givers become grateful. So the solution to covetousness is not thinking less about what you don't have. The solution to covetousness is giving away what you already possess. You will always think you don't have enough to give, always. I don't care how much money you're making, your salary could double in the next year, you'll still think you won't have enough to give. The problem is not your income, the problem is your perspective on gratitude. So I've set up a recurring um, giving to our church because I hate forgetting and I hate getting behind. So online, you can set that up. I encourage you to do that. Just every month, giving comes out of our checkbook. Super helpful. Well, the problem is, is that my debit card expired. 
And the church office kept calling me. I'm like, I know, I know, I'll get to it. And I kept forgetting. Well, Saturday, I went back and reconciled, not with the church office, but reconciled the account. So I put it back in, everything else. And I went back and said, man, my card expired. I haven't been giving since November. So then I added up what I'm supposed to be giving based upon what I decided to give. And I put that number in my phone. And I was like, this is why I do recurring giving because I hate it when this happens. And it, 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 I mean, it, was, it was a number, right? I mean, it was, and, I, and immediately I thought of, I got Christmas coming. And I mean, I thought, ran through my head, Christmas coming and I got some bills I got to pay. And it's like, no. And I got after it. I was like, get this done quick before you change your mind. Get it, 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 get it. Give. I walked, I was like, okay, here we go. Woo. Wow, man. That, that was, because honestly, I can find a million reasons to close up my heart. So easy. I got all kinds of justifications, all kinds of reasons, and yet giving away what I already possess is an act of faith where I say to God, I am grateful for what you've provided and I can trust you. And finally, the practice of gratefulness fuels obedience. Too many people find self-centered, stingy reasons not to obey what God has called them to do. Find reasons not out of gratitude to follow after Jesus. And can I just remind you that obedience is not supposed to be a drudgery, it's supposed to be a delight. And it's a delight because here's what you know, if you're a Christian, Jesus saved you, brother or sister, from yourself. He's taken all of your sins and he's owned it and called you righteous when you were not. He's promised you that everything in your life is working out according to God's holy plan for your life. There's nothing that can happen to you outside of his plan. God is for you, not against you. You are forgiven, not condemned. Eternal life is your future, not hell. Of all the people on earth who ought to know what gratefulness is and how to obey out of gratefulness, that's us. So when we see grace, we gotta say thanks always in every circumstance. Father, help us to know how to apply this word from 1 Thessalonians 5 today such that it could become muscle memory from a spiritual perspective. I pray for brothers and sisters here who are weary under the hard press of difficult circumstances. God, would you let them be encouraged and hopeful today of how they can follow you while grieving or being wearied. Lord, I pray for others who just need to hear an exhortation about what it means to keep pressing in towards this gratefulness theme. Make us a people who love you and want to follow you out of grateful and full hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.